We have industries who are truly excited and fascinated by the prospects of 5G technology, but they have never deployed anything wireless before. And I can give you examples like take manufacturing plants. What they are interested in is, hey, can I go ahead and have wireless communications inside so that I can digitize the entire manufacturing plant, get tons of data, do a lot of processing, analytics, improve my productivity with it. And that's only possible with technologies like 5G. Welcome to The Restless Ones. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I've spent the last 15 years covering technology and learning how it works, demystifying everything from massive parallel processing to advanced robotics and everything in between. Yet, it's the conversations with some of the most forward-thinking leaders, those at the intersection of technology and business, that fascinate me the most. Today, I'm speaking with Durga Malati from Qualcomm Technologies. Durga is on the cutting edge of wireless connectivity and has spent a quarter of a century creating systems that are at the very heart of communication and data. I knew that I was in for a great conversation right from the start. Before really wading into the world of 5G, I wanted to learn a bit more about Durga's personal background. Durga, I just want to start off by saying thank you for joining us on The Restless Ones. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. We always like to start getting to know our guest a little bit better. And I was really curious if you could tell us how you first got interested in technology in general and when did you decide to pursue technology as a career path? (laughs) Okay, so this actually goes back all the way to, I think, middle school. That was the first time I was exposed to, uh, you know, a lot of the fun aspects of physics and doing experiments and tinkering with things was, was something that really got me excited. The first time that I built an electromagnet, like we were all used to magnets, but the idea of using electricity to create magnetism was something that was so fascinating. I just got hooked. Wow. And to go from electromagnets all the way into things as complex as semiconductors, I remember learning about it in high school and trying to wrap my brain around it and finding it somewhat challenging. At what point did you really focus on that as being your career, that this, was, this wasn't just interesting, but it was something that you really wanted to pursue professionally? My mom is a math teacher and my dad is an engineer. So STEM was something that was kind of ingrained in our family in any case. From my perspective, I was always fascinated by the combination of physics and math. But it also became quite clear to me that applied physics was far more interesting to me. And from an engineering perspective, the whole notion of wireless communications and signal processing It also was the beginning of the transition from the first generation of wireless to the second generation. Cell phones, this was in the early 90s where cell phones were becoming more mainstream. It wasn't something that you would just see in a movie, but it was something that was being used more in daily lives. Because back then the phones were much bigger and all you could do was voice, but there was so much more that you could do. And the other interesting part was that in the early 90s, there was something else that was going on in parallel, and that was the birth of modern-day internet. And so the possibilities were just uh, endless. You know, we are talking of voice using phones and wireless networks, but what if you could bring in data as well? So it was just a fascinating field. I also love science and math. And it's one of the reasons I really love technology, because technology is the actual manifestation of science and math and proof that this stuff works, because 
obviously if it didn't, the technology would never work. And it is a thing of beauty, really, to see science and mathematics at work and making things possible. I think a lot of people kind of lose sight of that and they just see what the end result is and they kind of lose appreciation for sort of the beauty that underlies it all. Completely agree. One of the sayings that, you know, I read back in the day was, I think, just touching upon your point that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And there is something magical about that. It's one thing to learn a subject, do all the math behind it, have the theories behind it. But when you actually see it working, there's always that moment of, wow, I can't believe this is awesome. And that's something that's specifically the case when it comes to wireless communications. The idea that something is being said or uh, transmitted from a location and then in a completely different location, you actually get exactly the same thing. And I would argue that the bedrock of wireless communications is that confluence of physics and math that comes together and all the engineering that goes behind it. Well, anyone who can quote Arthur C. Clarke to me is top (laughs) in my book. I'm a huge science fiction fan as well. Well, what drew you toward the modem RF technology in particular? How did you start getting involved in that specific field? You know, in the second half of my grad school, I was focusing a lot on signal processing, some of the algorithms that are necessary in baseband technology to process the signals once they come through the RF in itself. It was quite clear to me that I was really interested in data communications and the signal processing that is needed for data communications. This is in the late 90s when overall as an industry, we were gradually migrating beyond text. Text messages were always there, but this is going a little bit beyond that. And it was quite incredible to even see, can we actually read email on a cell phone? We take it for granted today, but back then it wasn't very obvious that you could actually do that in a seamless manner. So for me, working on the baseband technology was something that fascinated me quite a bit. The transition towards 3G was happening. The dot-com boom, wireless boom, and this transition from the internet was taking on in wireline communications. So there were so many things there, but it became quite clear to me that baseband processing is going to be key because there's a lot of sophistication that we need to bring into the table once you get past all the analog processing that's done in the RF front end. And so straight out of grad school, I joined Qualcomm. Qualcomm was right in the midst of all the G transitions and making data come into wireless communication. So it was a natural spot for me. Durga's story impressed me. It's not often you hear about such a smooth transition. And before we move on to talk about the present and future of wireless communications, I thought it was a good idea to do a quick rundown of the past, because the terms can get confusing, in part because the transitions have been gradual, and sometimes a single generation has multiple standards, like GSM and CDMA. So, in the beginning, we have the first generation of wireless cellular technology, otherwise known as 1G. This was analog technology that really only supported voice, with a maximum data speed of just 2.4 kilobits per second. The second generation of tech emerged in the early 90s. We made the switch to digital instead of analog, boosted the data transfer speeds, and allowed for stuff like call and text encryption. This is where cell phones really began to take off. There was quite a bit of evolution between 2G and 3G, which was introduced in the late 90s. And with 3G, we had faster data transmission speeds, uh, enough to support tasks like video calling and mobile web browsing. A decade later, we got 4G, with even greater data transmission speeds and support for a wider variety of services, including HD mobile television. 
While smartphones like the iPhone debuted in the era of 3G, it was really 4G connectivity that allowed the mobile internet to flourish. And now we're in the 5G era, with the potential for incredible data throughput and low latency. And as Durga points out, these capabilities really create opportunities well beyond mobile devices. So the birth of the smartphone was what really made 4G tick. And that's the one that actually continued for another 10 years. So this is all completely based upon mobile broadband. And as we started looking at it, why stop just at smartphones? Why not have database communications and every single device that you see around you? All kinds of devices. And these are devices that communicate not just with humans, but also with each other. And it was with that sort of a thought process that the original vision of 5G as a unifying connectivity fabric for everything. It's not just for smartphones. It's not just for voice communications or data communications, but it's all of the above for all kinds of devices. So it's been a long and very productive and sophisticated journey. If you kind of think about what we are capable of doing with 5G today, and for those of us who have been fortunate enough to be part of the journey from the 90s onwards, it's always quite something. It still gives me goosebumps. And we are only getting started at this point in time with 5G. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about 5G capabilities in our conversation. And honestly, the more I learn, the more excited I get, because I think for a lot of people, including myself, the initial messaging that the mainstream gets tends to be in that smartphone realm, right? That that's the 5G experience, that you're going to be able to access things faster. But that misses so much. I see 5G playing an enormous role in our day-to-day lives, but also an unseen presence that ends up powering so many of the other technologies that are going to shape the way we live moving forward. One of the big questions I had for you then, in case people aren't familiar, is within the 5G picture, what role does Qualcomm play? Yeah, that's a very important point. So as Qualcomm, in our heart, we are an end-to-end systems company. We are not just a company that does the chipsets. Starting from foundational, fundamental design, starting literally from a whiteboard, proving out concepts that have never been done before. So if you just take a look at the complete pipeline, there is a design cycle that starts way before, several years before we even start seeing any commercialization for that. And by the time it comes to commercialization, we are focused on a few key concepts on 5G. We power the modem RF solutions that go into all kinds of devices, devices that range from smartphones on one hand to laptops, fixed wireless access, mobile hotspots, routers, increasingly automobiles where vehicles now come in. You can buy a car with cellular connectivity inside that and going into from a device perspective into the infrastructure domain where we provide the modem RF solutions that power pay stations as they exist. And there is an evolution happening on the infrastructure domain as well. So that's a portion that we are probably, you know, more known from a product standpoint, but it is important for everyone to understand that as Qualcomm, we do always come in with an end-to-end vision. We have a complete picture of what we want to accomplish and we've actually gone through that process. So because of that, Our touch points are practically everywhere in the ecosystem. We work very closely with mobile operators who eventually consume the technology that we build. We don't directly sell into them, but they consume the technology eventually of what we build. With our direct customers, the OEMs who build these devices or build the infrastructure, our partners 
who are either in the infrastructure domain or in the cloud players or in the actual device OEMs themselves. They're also our partners in terms of doing a lot of interop testing. And that's one of the important aspects of the wireless communications piece. The ecosystem is gradually growing. If you were to fast forward from the 90s to where we are today, today it's a really big tent right now. We have industries who are truly excited and fascinated by the prospects of 5G technology, but they have never deployed anything wireless before. And I can give you examples like take manufacturing plants. What they are interested in is, hey, can I go ahead and have wireless communications inside so that I can digitize the entire manufacturing plant, get tons of data, do a lot of processing, analytics, improve my productivity with it. And that's only possible with technologies like 5G. You could do exactly the same thing with large-scale utility grids, especially as one thinks of uh, a mix and match of you know, the energy assets. You might have data that's coming in from wind, solar, and hydropower complementing oil and natural gas and put it all together. There's an overall grid management, but a lot of it depends upon data that's constantly streaming in. Once again, 5G technology for utility grids is a fascinating use case in itself. So there's a lot of these new industries that have never done anything wireless before, but they are adopting it, building it, testing it. And so that's the place that we are right now. There might be instances where maybe this is not the technology for you, but there's a lot of instances where this is indeed the technology for you. And yes, we will do our part in enabling you and we can bring others together as well because they are, you need them as well. And that's the way that we actually work with the ecosystem. Conventional thinking says you have to pay more to get more. I want the world. But T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to deliver premium benefits for better ROI. From customized 5G solutions to 360 support, we help you reach your business goals right now. I want it now. Innovating to improve business today and tomorrow. That's unconventional thinking from T-Mobile for Business. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. For those who, when they hear 5G, I think the two things they, they think of, first, they think of high bandwidth, especially if you're just a, a casual consumer, you're probably thinking, oh, that's the thing that will let me download a series in just a couple of seconds. The thing that really excites me with this idea of low latency, high bandwidth is the potential for use in all sorts of applications. So can you talk a little bit about that, about how the low latency aspect of 5G enables new technologies that just a generation ago would have been impossible? You know, this is the first generation in wireless that we are placing some kind of emphasis on not just the typical data rates and bandwidth, but latency is just a responsiveness of the system. You would do something and you immediately see the response of that. And I'll give two examples of that where latency matters quite a lot. The first one is, I gave this example earlier of a manufacturing plant. Inside manufacturing plants, especially some of the more sophisticated ones, there's a lot of industrial grade ethernet that is used. This is wireline communications. But you have two machines, you have a controller of a machine, they're communicating with each other. And what matters, what's paramount is a command gets sent out and it is received by the machine on the other end at a very low latency. Similarly, you have the same machine that is sending back some heartbeat messages. It must be received like clockwork at a certain point in time. 
And that's a place where if the objective, you can think of that happening quite easily on a wire. You kind of expect that kind of a quality of service in a wire. When we replace those wires with wireless technology, you want to actually have exactly the same attributes, the same uh, set of features. So latency matters in industrial equipment as 5G actually comes into the picture because that's what it brings to the table. But what the other thing that it now does is now as the machines get moved around and so on, you don't have to necessarily first bring out the wires, then kind of move it to a different location, plug it back in, calibrate it. And there's a lot of up and downtime that's associated with this and you can actually get past that. So that's a clear application of where latency matters quite a bit. The other place is where, you know, another example, and I'm kind of deliberately picking a, a more futuristic example, but not that far off, is two vehicles communicating with each other. There is a technology in 5G called V2X. It's really vehicles communicating to other vehicles. Imagine a scenario where every vehicle out there has got this technology and you have basic safety mechanisms that are actually communicated with each other. There's a car that's driving in front of you and if the driver actually you know, slams on the brake, then instead of you just seeing that red light behind and then realizing that someone just applied the brakes in front of you, the car actually sends a message saying, I just applied a brake. Your car receives it as well and it takes all the appropriate measures. So this is like basic safety, but it's also kind of mission critical in some sense. So latency matters. Every millisecond matters over there. Humans take a little bit longer, but your vehicles can actually react much faster. So this is another example of that. So these are a few examples where you can immediately see that it's not so much about tens of gigabits per second data rates and so on, but it's all about latency. I see it also being critical for applications such as virtual reality and augmented reality. Any case where you are presenting the user visual information, it has to be very timely. Otherwise, well, one, with virtual reality, we all know that if there's any latency, you're bound to experience motion sickness. You get that virtual motion sickness. But also with augmented reality, obviously, you don't want any latency. If you are looking at a building, looking for a specific office, you want that information to pop up immediately. You don't want to be sitting there waiting for it. Or if you are following directions so that you can get someplace, you want those turn-by-turn -turn directions, obviously, to show up before you've passed the turn. Obviously, the metaverse is one of those topics that's been getting a lot of buzz recently. Obviously, all these companies that are rushing into it. I imagine that 5G connectivity is going to be absolutely pivotal for the early days of the metaverse. Absolutely. In fact, that was going to be my next point on that one. As you go, you know, beyond these examples that I gave on latency, if you think about picking up from where you started off with virtual reality, wherein there is something called as a motion to photon latency. In other words, like in the physical world, you move your head, you want to see exactly the same thing in the virtual world as well. But a lot of that processing, it's being done elsewhere. And so you want to make sure that the overall latency is so small that when you move, you actually see everything else in the virtual world move with you as well. And that's a very important attribute. From Qualcomm perspective, we call it as the connected intelligent edge. And there's like three different words over there. But if you were to break it down, it's important that connectivity is no longer, you know, a nice to have. It is a requirement. It is a necessity. You must have connected devices whenever you have these metaverse-based devices, whether it's XR devices or something else. But you also want the devices to be intelligent enough to do some of the processing 
inside the device, but also do some of the processing close to the edge. So you can actually imagine that maybe you're in a conference room and you have a processor that is there inside the conference room, but everyone is wearing their glasses. And then you have in a remote conference room, somewhere else geographically separated, there's another set of people. Everyone's wearing their XR glasses. You have the processing that's occurring there. So that's the edge portion of it, where some of the processing is being done at the edge, but you also need the devices to be very intelligent. But you almost kind of take connectivity for a granted. So connected intelligent edge is something that we are very focused on as Qualcomm. And we have been kind of driving that vision as much as possible. And we believe that this is going to be the foundation for the starting point of the journey into the metaverse. But this is the foundation. That's the way that we see it. I have another quick question here, and that is, do you have any other examples of how 5G technology has been of benefit to your clients? I know you've talked a little bit in generalities, but are there any, without necessarily naming names, any uh, specific implementations that you've seen that have been sort of almost like the killer app for 5G? Well, okay, that's a pretty broad term over there. But I would like to actually highlight one thing that did happen in the last two years. It's just coincidental with the pandemic. If you kind of think about it, the initial 5G launches were in 2019. So spring of 2019 was the first set of major announcements coming out from the US and Korea. And then we had US, Korea, Japan, Australia, Europe, and China, the first six regions which launched 5G. But then right after that, we hit the pandemic. That was a point in time where it was, you know, new frontier for everyone, no clear rules written as to how do you keep the productivity of organizations going while everyone is figuring out how to work remotely. And one thing that happened is that the 5G features and new capabilities into devices and to networks continued quite smoothly, actually, in spite of the pandemic. I think as an industry, we were able to immediately bring in some of the technology as solutions to enable people from working from wherever they are. Everyone started paying attention to what kind of connectivity do they have at home or wherever they are working from. And so connectivity was no longer a luxury, but a necessity. It was important not just to have some bare bones, but high-speed connectivity. We started thinking about broadband services, which is not just something that you find in urban areas or even suburban areas, but even in rural areas. If you take a look at the digital divide between the rural areas and the urban areas, in the rural areas, the the data rates that you get is a fraction of what you actually end up seeing in the urban and dense urban areas. An example of that, by the way, is distance education. In urban areas, the kids actually went back home and they are now in Zoom connectivity. But kids in rural areas, all they really need is the connectivity. And they can have access to the same high-quality education. They don't necessarily need teachers physically present in the schools right there. Now, the quality of education and locations is determined not necessarily by the quality of teachers who are in that local area, but by the quality of the bandwidth that you have. So we started working a lot on fixed wireless access services, working with operators everywhere in the U.S. to see if we can do rural connectivity. And we were able to get to gigabit data rates in rural Wisconsin, rural Iowa, and West Virginia. So I wanted to give an example of something as a technology that actually has the ability to transform. From my perspective, fixed wireless has been a huge success story 
that we don't talk about a lot, but it's actually coming up very nicely in 5G. This goes beyond smartphones, but really about transforming a lot of communities and a lot of industries. I love that as the son of two educators that speaks to me, especially the son of an educator who worked in a rural school in Georgia. Out of curiosity, for those companies out there that might be lagging a bit behind in the adoption of these high-speed wireless technologies, what's sort of your sales pitch? What do you end up really focusing on when you're talking about the capabilities of wireless? I think uh, with a lot of these industries that, you know, you can take the mining sector as an example, or in the early days of our discussions with the manufacturing sector, I think the first thing that I always do is listen. I want to listen to the problems first before I actually saying that, yeah, this is a solution. This is not a solution for everything, but I want to make sure that I listen to what they have and guide them towards the entire process of what it takes to adopt the technology as well. Maybe 5G is the right technology for you, but you know what? Here are the things that you might have to do, A, B, C, D, and E. We will help you along the way. And by the way, as a part of this journey, you should start getting gradually involved into some of the standardization bodies as well. Because the standards, like 5G standards, is not something that a small group of people decide somewhere and then publish it. It's an open system wherein anyone who wants to adopt 5G can come into the standards body and say, hey, these are the requirements that I need in my industry. So when you place those requirements into it, a couple of years downstream, you'll have a new standard that will come out, which will have all of those requirements baked in as well. So we spent some time also explaining to people that you should be a part of this coalition as well. So today, if you take a look at the 5G standards bodies, It's quite common to see those who are from the automobile industry, those who are from manufacturing industry, and so on. They've never been in these kinds of standards bodies before, but now they're an integral part of it. So it's a combination of, yes, we have solutions, but we are also here to help you and guiding you through the entire process. You'll have to do some of the work yourself, but we can bring other partners into the picture over here and make sure that you are part of you know, the standards as a part of like giving in requirements into the specs. I think that's fascinating. The idea of this being a collaborative effort to come to these standards so that it isn't like some secret cabal handing down directives that everyone must follow, but rather it really is an effort to say, what are your needs so that we can build that in? And then it falls to companies like Qualcomm to create the technologies that actually meet the needs of the end users, whether it's a company or a person who wants their technology to all speak together without any latency. Wonderful. Well, I have a very easy question for you. I'm sure it's one that you'll quickly be able to answer. What's next? (laughs) Well, you know, 5G is now about three years old and entering into the fourth year. So we're about, I would argue that, you know, thinking about what I said earlier, there's a 10-year journey towards the next G and so on. We don't start thinking about the fact we are working on the next G. We just keep working on new technology till it becomes sufficiently different from the previous one and then you call it the next G. So yeah, obviously what's going to come next is 5G Advanced. And we're not that far from it, by the way. But one thing that's happening is that as 5G is in a position to generate lots of data, there's also a lot of work that's coming up from another important technology, and that's AI. The ability to harness and process all the data to come out with something meaningful. 
So you kind of have a situation wherein 5G and AI kind of feed off each other. 5G generates a lot of data that helps AI. AI then helps 5G in a different way. And so the combination of 5G plus AI is something that is quite important for us. And just a couple of months back, we introduced the very first AI-based processing techniques as a part of our 5G solutions into smartphones, actually. And so this is something that's going to be brewing quite a bit. So really looking forward to it. But yeah, that's about the kind of a way that we are thinking about things right now. I couldn't let Durga go without asking him one more thing. What is a question I did not ask you that you kind of wish I had asked you? One usually thinks of 5G as something that is a premium technology, something that's there only for some very expensive devices out there. There is a lot of work on what is known as reduced capability so that there is a complete portfolio of solutions in 5G. You know, there's no one-size-fits-all 5G. 5G goes all the way from 100 megabits per second to like a gigabit per second. Another point that, you know, we didn't touch upon as much is the importance of reliability. Reliability of communication and what is known as sometimes mission-critical communication. You're sending a command out there. It's important that it is something that's received very quickly, but it's also important that it is received extremely reliably. You're not watching a video where maybe there's once in a while there's a glitch and you're like, that's okay, that's fine. No, no, no. This is like a mission-critical message. It must be received. And reliability is another attribute that 5G is bringing to the table. It's quite important, whether it's first responders or whether it is some of this manufacturing equipment, or even in those vehicular communications, reliability of communication is an important attribute as well. Durga, thank you so much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. We've really enjoyed having this conversation. I had a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. My conversation with Durga really drove home that we're living in a world that just a short while ago, was the stuff of science fiction and that so much of our world is dependent upon these invisible connections that carry data to and from devices all around us. It's not just that almost everyone in the world is carrying around a combination of a computer, a communications device, a camera, and an entertainment center just in their pocket. It's that we have this back-end capability to support these devices and provide incredible experiences. Moreover, we need to remember that that same back-end capability can do so much more than provide opportunities for personal communication. It is a foundational technology that creates endless possibilities. Whether we're thinking about a personalized experience like exploring a virtual environment or a communication fabric that enables fleets of cars to coordinate with one another, it all boils down to 5G paving the way. I can't wait for you to hear more conversations with the forward thinkers, innovators, and, well, restless ones who are leveraging tech to build the future. Make sure to tune into the restless ones every other week for a new episode. I'll see you then. T-Mobile for Business knows companies want more than a one-size-fits-all approach to support. I want the world. So we provide 360 support customized to your business from discovery through post-deployment. You'll get a dedicated account team and expertise from solutions engineers and industry advisors already right now. I want it now. 
360 support that's customized for your success. That's unconventional thinking from T-Mobile for Business. 